Hey, Wendy, I think it's time for another clinical case review. Hey, Matt. Sure, definitely. It has been a while and I'm excited. Come on, let's do this. Great. Let's take a look at case number five. So here, we have a patient called Naomi. Naomi is 40 years old and she was referred to us with fatigue, abdominal discomfort, and a spleen palpable three centimeters below her left costal margin. Right, and looking at her blood results, it said, white blood cell count at 160 times 10 to the power of nine per liter. There were 5% promyelocytes, 4% basophils, 1.5% eosinophils, 1% monocytes, and no presence of blast was detected in her blood. Her hemoglobin levels were at 118 grams per liter, while her platelet count at 1,041 times 10 to the power of 9 per liter. Her karyotype is 46XXT922Q34Q11, showing 100% metaphase with Philadelphia chromosome. The P210 isoform is detected on the BCR-ALB1 gene. In conclusion, she was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia at the chronic phase with no comorbidities. Okay. What about her prognosis? Was there anything in her files on that? No, I don't see any information on that. From what I know, several prognostic scores can be applied in CML patients. Do you know the names of some of these scores? There's the Hasford score, the Sokol score, there's the Euro score, and oh, the Udo's long-term survival score too. Right. Which score do we look at to assess the probability of disease-related death in CML patients again? Most CML patients die of comorbidities instead of their diseases, and since Naomi doesn't have any. I'm pretty sure it is the Udo's long-term survival score. We take her age, her spleen size, presence of peripheral blood blasts, and platelet counts into account. And, after factoring all that information into the calculation, we see that Naomi is in the low-risk group. Her overall survival rate for the next 10 years is at 88%, and her six-year leukemia-related death risk is at 2%. That's pretty good. Next, let's take a look at her treatment profile. She was prescribed with imatinib at 400 mg daily. She achieved a complete hematological response after two weeks of treatment. Her early molecular response, or BCR-ABL1 level, was measured. It was 6% after three months of therapy. After six months, it decreased to 5%, and after 12 months, it was at 0.3%. In terms of tolerance to imatinib, she developed severe periorbital edema and swelling of her lower legs. Spironolactone was then prescribed. See here, according to the European Leukemia Net 2020 milestones, Naomi did achieve an optimal treatment response based on her BCR-ABL1 level on month 3. However, her BCR-ACL1 score at month 6 and 12 was not low enough to be considered as optimal response. To achieve optimal response, her levels needed to be at least 1% in month 6 and at least 0.1% in month 12. Her numbers puts her into the warning category. So, did Naomi then continue on the same treatment? Yes. The clinician in charge is supposed to carefully weigh the next treatment decision depending on the patient's characteristics, comorbidities, and drug tolerance. So, in this case, Naomi continued with the same dosage of imatinib. After two years of treatment, she achieved complete molecular response. And then, her prescription was switched to generic imatinib after nine years of treatment. Oh. How was her response to the genetic version? I've just had a patient that responded badly to a generic drug switch. Oof, she did not do well. Her clinician reported symptoms of edema, nausea, and abdominal pain. 
Ouch. Poor Naomi. Yeah. Well, because of that, she was then switched to nilotinib in 2014. Nilotinib kept Naomi in a state of complete molecular response in the five years she was treated for. Her PCRAL1 stayed at 0% and she had a molecular response or MR of 5. It says here that she did though have hypercholesterolemia from the drug, but that was sorted out with the addition of a statin. By the way, Wendy, what are the criteria you take into account when selecting second-generation tyrosine kinase inhibitors for your patients? One sec. Let me think. Yep. The most important are the efficacy and the safety of the drug. For example, does the patient have specific mutations that would affect the efficacy of a drug? What are the patient's comorbidities? And do they come into conflict with the drug's safety profile? Oh, right. Of course. Got it. Well, actually, looking at this case retrospectively, stopping therapy after nine years of imatinib would also be an option for Naomi since she has already achieved complete molecular response. True. I wonder why. I suppose we didn't have enough data on treatment discontinuation back then. But nowadays, we are able to discontinue treatment when criteria are met. I'll quickly look up the criteria. I remember saving a copy of the European Leukemia Net 2020 guideline somewhere in my computer. Great. While you look for that, I'll read out the last bits of Naomi's case. So she was switched to nilotinib in 2014, and after five years on that, we see that she chose to discontinue all treatment in 2019, since she has achieved complete molecular response. And look, she was here for a checkup in September 2021, and she is still in complete molecular response. Well done, Naomi. Good to hear that. So, in total, I think she has been on tyrosine kinase inhibitor treatment for 16 years. Jeez. Wow. Ah, oh, there it is. I found it. The requirements for stopping tyrosine kinase inhibitor treatment. It's here. There is a list of mandatory and minimal requirements for stopping treatment. Taking Naomi's case as an example, we see that she has had more than four years of treatment with a second-generation tyrosine kinase inhibitor. That's right, she had nilotinib for five years. She also had a deep molecular response with MRF4 or better for at least two years. And she has had no treatment failure. Perfect. So she has met the criteria. Hey Matt, what are the variables that can cause a patient to lose molecular response after stopping treatment? For sure, the duration of the molecular response in treatment. Don't forget the depth of molecular response too. Yes, that's right. I almost forgot about that. This was an interesting case study. I'm so glad to see that Naomi's disease is in control. Definitely. I think we're done with this case. There is nothing more I'd like to add. Matt, do you have any? Nope. I think that's it. Thanks for picking the case, Matt. It's always fun doing this.